Father, you are good. And we declare that from the middle of the storm, the middle of the confusion, God, the middle of the challenges, we declare that you are good because that's the most difficult time to say it. We praise your name even with the challenges and the loss and the heartache. We praise your name because you are still good. And Father, we thank you that you are more than just our Savior, but you are our friend. You are our Father that in Scripture you've given us that title to hold on to and cling to in these times that you are aware of when the, of the sparrows on earth and you are more aware of the creation of us and how valuable we are. We are your children. And so we come here tonight to hear from you. Children ready to hear the words from their father who is near to them in their heartache but is so powerful and is a great encourager. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, once more, turn to your neighbor. No holy kisses, please. Just a, a wave and a hi. Let me get all the junk out of my pockets. This is not the offering. Don't collect this afterwards. So I've been married now. I got it all figured out, and I'm two months in. <laughs> two months in, got it all figured out. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned, one of the first lessons that I've learned about marriage is that you don't go shopping on a full stomach with your wife. Or maybe I meant to say the opposite. You don't go shopping with your wife when you're hungry. That's the way I meant to say it. That's a bad thing to do, right? I always go to the grocery store pretty optimistic. You know, I'm going to buy celery and more greens this time and more fruits and vegetables. But you guys know that if you go to a grocery store and you're hungry, things don't go as you planned. So a couple weeks ago, me and my wife were walking through the aisles, and we were hungry. We hadn't eaten lunch. And we went up to, we went through these aisles and we're throwing gummies in there. We went right for the chip aisle, right, with a thousand different bags of chips. We're throwing in Doritos in there, tostada, all these good frozen section pizzas, pizza puffs, pizza bites, pizza anything. Went to the section, two things of Gatorade, Coke. I mean, we weren't even done shopping yet and our cart was overflowing and I was looking at it thinking, I am shopping like a 13-year-old right now. Like, I'm really just a 13-year-old in an adult's body with a little bit of money to shop for groceries. This was confirmed to me when me and my wife, were, her name's Carolina, we were pushing the cart down this, you know, an aisle to get to another aisle, and this little Hispanic boy who was next to his mother who was pushing the cart was looking down, we're passing each other, looked up, saw our cart, his eyes got twice as big as they normally were, like, traced us and followed us, and then said something to his mom in Spanish. And Carolina, my wife, she just starts laughing and laughing and laughing. And I said, what did the little boy say? Why are you laughing? And she said, the little boy just looked at his mom and said, mommy, mommy, we need to get Coke like these people. Look at all the things in their, in their car. At that point, I knew, okay, I need to just go home, like, by the way, I shop at the Mariano's right here, so if I see you, I'm probably going to, like, avoid you. 
But I realized this reality, real simple, you know, easy lesson to learn is you don't go shopping when you're hungry. You make sure that when you're full, that's when you go shopping. Why? Because you buy less and you actually buy the things that you need, right? The way of living, this way of living can be a real problem if you don't get under control. This problem that a lot of us wrestle with, right? It's this problem of not being full so we want more. Not being satisfied so we want more. See, our problem we often wrestle with is we're not satisfied so we want more. More. Let me get real. How many of us have driven past a car dealership in our own car on the way to work? I'm like totally guilty of this. And said, man, I really wish I could have one of those cars. How many of us, every time Apple, or the Android people out there too, every year that Apple comes out with a new phone and they say it's the latest, greatest, best phone ever, you have two cameras on your phone, this one has three. How many of us are convinced to say, I need it? I need it, I just need the newest version. Your phone works great, but I need it. How many of us, I'm not getting gender specific here, how many of us have a shoe in every single color? Don't raise your hand. Don't point. No nudges. No nut. How many of you have a shoe in every single color, but it's like you saw that one pair of shoes that I don't have that light shade of tan right there. I have all the other, but not that shade. I need it. See, we live in a world that is constantly telling you and me that we need what? More. And when we are not satisfied with what we have, we spend more than we need. We buy things that we don't need. And most critically, we don't enjoy what we have. None of those things are good for our personal finances, right? As we're talking about money today. The average American now has $38,000 in personal debt, excluding your mortgage. 25% of all debt is credit card debt. Of course, every single year, Americans list the number one thing they want to do is reduce their debt, and yet 13% of us say we will probably never get rid of debt in our entire life. And if you're under 35 in here, let me just tell you the patterns of of spending in our age group. We spend 40% of our monthly, oh Lord help us, 40% of our monthly income goes to clothes and entertainment and other non-essential items. Jesus, help me with all my memberships to Netflix and HBO. (laughs) But this is really a problem in our life, right? When we're not satisfied or when we're not full, we want more. And in the culture and the world that we live in, it's totally acceptable to live a life of constantly wanting more. Our society, our our TV is structured so that by the time you finish your 30-minute episode, you've seen four ads that tell you and me that we need what? More. And that can absolutely wreak havoc on the finances that we have when we are constantly unsatisfied with what we have and feel like we need 
more. Oftentimes we feel stuck in our situation financially and feel like we will never be able to break free from this. Anybody feel that way? You don't have to raise your hand because I've talked with so many. Today I want to turn to a passage. If you're discouraged, don't worry. Today I want to turn to a passage in God's word that is going to teach us about how, to be, how we can be satisfied. Satisfied. And it's coming from a guy who really has more right to speak on it than anybody does. It's coming from the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is writing these words. These are leaving his lips, being put on paper while he's in prison. So he has a little bit of a right, not only as an apostle of God, but he has a little bit of a right to talk to us about being content because he's experiencing a situation where everything's been stripped from him and he's writing from prison. Join me in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. This is Paul. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Number one, if you're writing this down, I'm going to go three points on contentment. I'm trying to teach you and help you to better understand that we as Christians live counterculturally to the world around us. And we can live a life that is satisfied and content no matter what you have, no matter what your situation, and no matter what your age. Number one, contentment is learned. Learned. Listen to what Paul says in here. That you could, you could read over this quickly. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to have plenty. Paul's saying, I learned. I know. I know. See, contentment is learned. When me and my wife, then girlfriend, went on our first date ever, we actually went to the bowling alley right over here in Oak Lawn because she lived in Evergreen. By the way, bowling is a f terrible first date. It's incredibly difficult to talk to one another when you're like, okay, what'd you say? Okay, now it's your turn. Okay, I'll talk to you. Terrible. Almost lost. And we went on this first date, and I'm nervous, she's nervous. And she, after a couple rounds of bowling, which I'm like an average bowler and like a good day. You know, you're trying to impress, you're trying to be suave, trying to act like you know what you're doing, put your leg extra out like this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing out there, but I'm acting, I'm just putting it on like, yep. Like that. I'm trying to impress her, I don't know what I'm doing. After a couple rounds, I'm doing okay. And she says, why don't we throw with our opposite hand? I was like, that's really weird. Like, that's what I'm saying in my mind. This is, I'm, this is bad. Like, I'm trying to show up right now, show off. And she's telling me, throw my bad hand. So I'm like, okay, sure. So I go up to the ball. I grab it. And I'm right hand. So I'm throwing with my left hand. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what way like, my leg's supposed to go. <sighs> straight gutter. I mean, straight to the gutter. She went, guttered it. I went again, guttered, and I'm like thinking, oh, this is terrible. Why did she suggest this? But have you ever tried to do something like that with your opposite hand? 
You ever had to try to brush your teeth with your opposite hand? Maybe you broke your finger or something. It just feels strange, right? It's a bizarre thing. You've ever tried, you know, texting with the opposite hand? You're trying to drink out of one. It's a weird thing to do something with your opposite hand. It's unnatural. It's strange. You're not used to it. And you know what? Contentment is that same exact way. In the world that we live in, contentment is not the default. To be satisfied with what you have in life, that's not the default. How many of us know what our place is at work? There's just everybody around us has something to complain about. Come on. I worked in a secular atmosphere too where I'd show up to work. I worked graveyard shift at a retail, at a, at a retail store. I would show up and from minute one, people would start complaining about the boss, about this, about they don't work hard enough, I shouldn't be here, I, I might just so much compl- not satisfied. And we live in a world where everybody's default is to be discontent, unsatisfied with what they have, who they're with, what they own, and yet God is commanding us, telling us, calling us to be content. He's saying, listen, everybody around you, their default is to be unsatisfied, but you as my people, your default is to be content. You have to learn something that's going to feel like throwing with your opposite hand down a bowling alley. You're going to have to learn something that feels unnatural, that you're not used to, that you didn't grow up doing. You're going to have to learn to be content. And I was looking at the psychology, because I'm kind of a nerd like this, and I like to look into these things. But there's this thing called the satisfaction treadmill. Satisfaction treadmill. It's this term that was brought by Nobel Prize winning psychologist Daniel Kahneman. Pretty lofty title. And he had this concept that he wanted to explain why we as people wrestle so much with contentment or satisfaction being our default. And basically, here's what happens we want a phone, we buy a phone. We enjoy that phone, then we get tired of that phone, then we want a new phone. Replace phone with anything in our life. And he said, this is what happens. You want that new computer. You want that next role. And you want it, you want it, you want it. And once you get that, your happiness levels go up, and then they gradually come down to resume back at where they were. And psychologists have studied this and studied this and studied this. And, and they, the first study was in the 1970s with people that won the lottery. And they studied these people saying, people that won the lottery, drastic change in their life. They must have higher happiness levels forever because they won the lottery. And what they realized is that these people that won the lottery, their happiness went up for 18 months and then it went right back down to normal. And they've studied this, and they say people basically get used to what's new, and then they want new again. And they continue to do studies in 2012, and then I'll move on from psychology. But but 2012, they figured out what is one of the ways that we can keep our happiness levels high? What's one of the ways that we can keep it elevated? And they found that one of the key tools 
for sustaining satisfaction and happiness in your life. You know what it is? This is what the psychologist, Nobel Prize winning psychologist came up with, appreciation. The mind-blowing truth that psychologists are just scratching the surface on now is that thanksgiving, gratitude, and appreciation is one of the keys that unlocks the door to satisfaction and happiness in our life. The Bible's been saying that for 2,000 years. The Bible's been telling us the truth that we are to be, what's 1 Thessalonians 5.18 say? Give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians 4 talks about one of the keys to having peace in our life is to give thanks to God for everything that we have. See, we live in a society whose number one goal is happiness, but you will never receive happiness in your life unless you learn to be content. See, contentment, to be satisfied with what you have, opens the door to experiencing the emotion of being happy. See, contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. Giving thanks and being appreciative for what you do have allows you to be satisfied with what you have. Can I tell you this? In the middle of some of you guys have had your hours pulled back. Some of you guys have lost your jobs and regained other jobs or are still searching. Some of you guys are questioning where you're gonna get the money for the next rent check or the Christmas gifts or Thanksgiving. Can I tell you, in a season like this, it is so easy to be unsatisfied with everything. It's easy. Well, I deserve to be. Well, why should I have joy? Why should I have peace? And yet, the guy who's writing to us is saying, listen, I'm in a jail cell right now for sharing the faith. I don't have anything. And I'm telling you this, that you can be satisfied and content in a jail cell. And if Paul can tell us that from a jail cell, come on, tell him, tell me he can't tell it to us in a pandemic. If you have lost something right now, can I tell you this? Your satisfaction, happiness, contentment in this season is not dependent upon you getting it back. In this season right now, even when you may have lost something, as hard and challenging as that is, can I tell you that you can still be as joyful, as peaceful, as God-centered, as faithful as you have been in any other season of your life. People around you may have their minds blown about how can this person feel this way when they have lost all this, but we know that our everything is found in Jesus. And can I tell you this? You may lose everything, but Jesus says the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we base our satisfaction and our joy not on fleeting things, but on Jesus who is forever the same, can I tell you what? You can weather any storm with him. We can be content through anything, and that's what Paul moves on to say. Number two, write this down. Contentment can be circumstances free. He continues on to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether you have a job or not, whether you have food in front of you, that meal or not, whether your stomach's full or it's empty, Paul saying that is not the thing that determines. For the rest of the world, 
Yeah, that's what determines. For you, there's something greater that determines your contentment. See, this is a revolutionary thought that Paul is saying that we can be content in any and every situation. And he goes on to explain what it is, well-fed, hungry, living in plenty, or in want. You know, when I went to, I went to Africa when I was 16 years old, I don't know why my mom let me go at 16, but she did. And I went at 16 years old. I went on a mission trip for one month. And I went to this one town called Kampala. And then I, it was, a, it was their capital city, their main city. And then I went to this other city outside of it. And one of the days we went, our job was to kind of just serve the people in one of these towns. And I mean, we came up to a village where, you know, the floors in these huts were dirt and their houses were made from just the materials they found, you know, surrounding them, you know, branches and stuff. And I came up to this woman and said, how can I help you? And she said, oh, what would be super helpful today if you could carry these two, you know, yellow jugs and, and follow me down and carry them back for me, you know, from where we get water. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds pretty easy. This woman took me on a two-mile hike. <laughs> two-mile hike. I mean, I thought we were going around the corner, like, oh, where is it? You know, it's behind this hut. No, no, no. Two-mile hike. We were gone. I mean, I thought, maybe, is, is she kidnapping me? What is going on here? Two-mile hike down. We go, we get to this field, this open field, and there's a mound of dirt there with a pole sticking out of it and water slightly gushing out of it. And there's a line of 40 people, 40 people waiting to get water there. And I waited in line with all these people to get my turn to fill up these two yellow jugs. And as I'm walking back, I asked her, I said, what do you use this water for? Is this just drinking? She says, no, this is drinking water, shower water, cleaning water, everything water. And she said, I do this trip several times a day. I go and get this water. Do you know what that does to you as a human being? When you see someone in a situation with so much less than you, and you, realize, you start asking yourself, what in the world was I complaining about back home? What in the world were my big problems in life that I was just so complaining about and had all these issues? Why was I so unsatisfied, was so, so joyless in my life? One of the things I saw in the African church when I was over there, and their services are long, like four hours long. Those, I mean, next level Christians over there. One of the things I learned, I would watch these people and I was asking myself this question. If I come from the most powerful, prosperous nation in the world, why are these people so much happier than most of the people that I see and myself? Why do they have so much joy? Why can they dance and worship so freely? What do they have that I don't? I have so much more than they do and I'm 16 years old. And God was revealing to me, pulling back layers. He's saying, Josiah, you had bought into a lie that has so penetrated your society that life is found in the abundance of possessions. And Jesus himself talks about this in Luke 12, 15. He says the opposite. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus himself is speaking to his people saying, listen, the end goal in life is not having a second house. The end goal in life is not having seven digits next to your name. 
The end goal in life is not having, you know, the next and the newest car every single year so you can bring. That's not the end goal in life. Your joy, your happiness, your contentment is not found in those things. I know, Josiah, that the world around you tells you that you are miserable or, or not happy because you don't have those things. But let me tell you, it's not the truth and it's not the answer. I went to a wedding with a buddy of mine. And uh, we got to visit. We were actually in Toronto. My roommate in college was from Toronto. So I went to his wedding, flew out. And one of my other buddies from college ended up being there. And so we show up. And, you know, we're on the wedding day. We're all getting dressed. You know, I'm looking snazzy, black tie, white shirt, and getting ready, getting on. And he comes in, my buddy, not the guy getting married, but the other buddy. And we're waiting. We're killing another hour of time. And he starts pointing. He says, hey. What do you think about this tie? I go, it's cool. I mean, it looks like, looks like any other tie I saw. He says, this tie, Givenchy. I go, okay, that's cool. No, it's a nice tie, man. It feels, feels soft. He goes, these socks, and he rolls up, pulls up his sleeves, his, his pants. He says, Balenciaga right here. Now I'm like Googling these brands. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Like, what, what is that? Like, I don't. And he like told me something else. He was like, this white shirt, because we're all wearing white. He's like, this white shirt, you know, Versace. And some other big brand, like Versace or something. You feel, you see this? He's like, feel it, feel it. I'm like, okay, it's nice. I don't know, guys. Like, I just wanted to be like, these socks, Walmart. <laughs> you know, these, these pants, TJ Maxx, like, I don't know. There's, there's this culture and world that we live in. And it's like, oh, if you don't have these brands, if you're not wearing this, if you're not doing this, then you don't have worth. You shouldn't be happy. You got to, that's when you made it. That's the golden life. You got to have things and then you made it. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't need those things. You know what? Those brands aren't bad. If you're not wearing it, don't sneak out of here like, I got to cover that up. Like, you're good. Like, no worries. Like, but what I'm saying is when you're satisfied in Jesus, can I bring us back to our core? When you don't have Jesus, you are empty. But when you have Jesus, there's something in your soul that becomes filled and satisfied. And when you have Jesus in your soul and your spirit and you're just walking with Jesus, I don't know about you, but there's things on this earth that just don't matter to me much anymore. I don't really care if you're paying $90 for a white t-shirt. I'm going to pay like 10 like, I'm good because you know what? My worth is wrapped up not in what I wear, but it's wrapped up in Jesus. All of my worth and my value is wrapped up in Jesus. The high in me in my life is not just to have more. You know how many people and so miserable and discontent in their life? How many more celebrities do we have to see go off themselves or kill themselves with drugs and alcohol for us to realize that's not the win? I love what Jim Carrey said because he said this. He said, I think, oh, this is so good. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can realize it's not the answer. And yet there's so many people around us who are so caught up in that world. 
And they just think that their emptiness is because they need to fill it with other things. And if they just had more, then their emptiness would be filled and they would be able to be satisfied in life. And Jesus is saying, don't get caught in the trap. And maybe it's not closed for you. Maybe it's a car, maybe it's a house, maybe it's none of those things, but don't get caught in the trap because everybody else around us is living for the more. And I believe that there's less in more. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Guys, that's an eternal perspective right there. Timothy's saying, listen, it's not a bad thing to have. It's not a bad thing to, there's people in the Bible who are rich. This is not a message that rich is bad or buying is bad. Like enjoy Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all the deals that start like the whole month now. Enjoy it. I'll be on there shopping. But don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in it because it's not the answer. It's not the answer. Third and last, contentment is found in God. Contentment is found in God. Verse 13, come on now, at least one of you has this verse tatted on some part of their body. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some, someone has this tattooed, I'm, I'm, or, or on their Instagram or on their Facebook. Somebody has this somewhere. I think that this is the most misunderstood verse probably in the entire Bible. And I'm telling you that because I misunderstood this verse for a lot of years. I remember one time I read this in my devotional, and I was working out downstairs. My dad told me, he said, if you work out for one month in the basement, one month in the basement, he said, I'll get you a gym membership. So I said, deal, one month. So I started working out in the basement. I started feeling good about myself. I started, you know, doing a lot of chess because that's all you do when you start working out. So I'm doing like chess six days a week, feeling strong. And um, one night I, I had like read that verse in the morning and I went downstairs and I was, I was feeling extra strong, right? And so I went to like what my weight was and then I put extra weight. I'm like, let me put like another 10 and like another 10. And then I was thinking... Yeah, I could do all things through God who gives me strength. Yeah, come on. And I put like another five on, another five. I mean, I was like a little lost at that point. And I was just like, but the verse says like I can do all things through Christ, right? So I could do anything. Like I can take this on. I could probably put even more weight. I laid down on that bench, put my hands on it, recited the verse again. I could do all things put my hands on it, push that weight up. It was heavy, but I was like, I could do all things. I can do all things. And can I tell you, when I started that weight down, that weight came down. I was like, dad, dad, help, help, pick this weight up. That verse is not a motivational verse to finish one more mile on the treadmill. That verse is not a verse to get one more crunch in and go. That verse is not a verse to go do something really stupid and say, but Jesus said I could do all things through him. I'm going to jump. Like, that's not the verse. Do you know the crazy thing that Paul is saying that God will give you the strength to do? The crazy, outlandish, wild, insane thing that Paul is saying God will give you the strength because you absolutely need it is to live content in all circumstances. That's the wild truth that Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, 
the wild, crazy truth that most people aren't living is to be content in every and any circumstance. Most people don't live that. Most people can't live that. But you know what? You, as a Christian, God will give you the strength and the power to live that. And it is challenging and hard, right? Because our mind can so quickly get caught up on what other people have. Tell me it's not easy. I can't tell you how many times I have to uh, delete my Instagram because I get too focused on what other people have. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Am I the only one that just gets so caught up in looking at what other people have that it's easy for me to go, well, I, I want that. I can have that. That's what I need. And you know what the reality is? You don't. You don't. And I don't. And those aren't bad things, but you know what? What we really need is the strength and the ability through Jesus Christ to be satisfied whether we have the whole world at our fingertips or we have nothing. If you're wrestling with satisfaction in this season, it's not because you don't have. Let me say that again. If you're wrestling with satisfaction in this season, it's not because you don't have. It's not because of the lack of abundance of things or possessions. Can I tell you what it is? It's the lack of abundance of Jesus. Because when you have banked your everything on Jesus, it's nice to get nice things. It's nice to buy things that you enjoy. But you know what? That's not your joy. That's not your end-all be-all. That's not your everything. When you have Jesus, it's your everything. And when we want, when you're longing, which isn't a bad thing, right? Paul says, if there's want, if there's need. When we want, we have to remember that Jesus is the one who helps us enjoy what we already have. Jesus is the one who helps us be satisfied with what we already have. Because there's always somebody that's going to have more than you and me. And contentment not, does not depend on what we have, but on who we have within. Paul's ability to be content in every and any situation was not because Paul had some treasure chest stored up that when he knew he broke out of jail or got out of jail, he was, he was set. Paul knew that even though everything on earth was stripped from him and he was sitting in a jail cell, he knew that he had everything he needed in Christ. That's how you're content in every and every circumstance. That's how you're content in every situation. Stand with me. You know, Jesus... Jesus wants your all. He wants all your mind. He wants all your heart. He wants your thoughts. He wants your attention. And I don't know what the Lord said today. Maybe there's one word or one phrase. Maybe there's one thought that's just lingering in your mind, scratching at your heart a little bit. And in this season, you're wrestling. You're wrestling. You know it. 
You know you're wrestling. And you want to be satisfied. You want to be happy. You want to be content. But you are wrestling. You're wrestling maybe because you lost. Maybe you're wrestling because you're so focused on what everybody else has. And you know what? In this season, don't feel like you're alone because there have been a lot of us in the room, including myself, who have wrestled in this season. A lot of us who have wrestled in this season. We're saying, God, I know you're faithful, but I'm, I'm lacking. And I'm trusting. And I'm holding on. But I'm struggling. And I don't want to be empty, God. I want to be full and filled with you because I know these aren't words that are just said from a stage or written in a book, but I know these are words that I bank my life on. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I don't want to see how your faith is tested when you're on the mountaintop. It doesn't impress me. When things are going good in your life and you have it all, it doesn't impress me how your faith is doing. I want to see your faith when you've lost it. I want to see your faith when something's been taken from you. I want to see your faith when you're going through it and you feel like you're in the valley because that's when our faith is tested. That's when our faith is tested. And so if you feel comfortable and if you feel led, I'm going to lead you in some thanksgiving for a minute. Maybe it hasn't left your lips in a moment. But would you raise your hands again? And I'm going to lead you in some thanksgiving. I remember one time I was thanking God and I felt no reason to thank him. I was without peace and without joy and I started forcing words out of my mouth of thanksgiving. I started focusing my attention on things that I hadn't thanked God for. And you know what? Within five minutes, five minutes, driving to the gym within five minutes I felt like my whole mentality flipped I felt like I had peace in my life I felt like I had my joy restored in my life but I had to force myself to do something that was unnatural I had to force myself to whisper words to God of thanksgiving because there is good in this season and it all comes from the Father of heavenly lights. That's what the book of James says. So with me right now, as people of God, would you raise your hands and would you just start thanking God? Go through the relationships in your life. Start thanking Him name by name by name. Start thanking Him for your wife. Start thanking Him for your husband. Start thanking Him for your children. Start thanking Him for your boss that annoys you. Start thanking Him for your friends, for your pastor, for your co-laborers, your brothers and sisters. Start thanking God for the relationships that you have. And when you're done with that, start thinking through the things in your house and the things that you own. Start going through them. Just start saying them. I know you don't need to scream them out loud, but you can say them, whisper them to God. Say, God, thank you for my car. It's not great, but thank you that I have something to drive with, God. Thank you for my job, God. Even though they may have pulled back, thank you that you have provided in this. Thank you for my savings and my savings account because you provided, God. And just go through that list of things that God has given you. Start thanking him for spiritual things as well. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, God, for brothers and sisters. Thank you for my small group. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the joy and the love that you give to me. Thank you. Thank you. 
There's something supernatural happening. You cannot see it visibly with your eyes right now. You can't see it, but there's something about it. When you're in the valley and you start praising God, there's something powerful. There's something supernatural that happens when words of praise and thanksgiving start flowing from your lips. There's something that God sees in his heavenly realm that just pleases him. The aroma of your thanksgiving and your praise and it does something so powerful in us. Take your time to give thanksgiving right now. Maybe you don't even sing during this song. Maybe it's just thanking God through the list of things. But we're going to worship him because he is worthy of worship and praise. And he is good. He is always, always good. Let's sing.